Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk with the Director of Legal Operations for the Firearms Policy Coalition and take a deep dive into federal and state assault weapons bans. I want to remind everyone that we will now be dropping new episodes every Tuesday morning. The Gun Experiment will air on the second and fourth Tuesdays, and our new show, Chopping It Up, airs on the first and third Tuesdays. So be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. This episode is brought to you by Target Sports USA, the official ammo sponsor of The Gun Experiment. Be sure to check out their Prime membership, which gets you 8% off, free shipping on all ammo orders, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. If you'd like to sign up or purchase ammo, please do us a favor and go to targetsportsusa.com forward slash the gun experiment. It doesn't add a dime to your purchase, but it does help us out a bunch. And as always, I cannot get the show started without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, how are we doing? Good. It was like, as soon as you press record... Our, my uh, my heated discussion <laughs> kind of calmed down. We we were having a good discussion. Here. Probably I uh, should have recorded it, but <laughs> well, sometimes you got to get a little feisty. Uh, it's, yeah, it's good uh, to. It's just, I think we're there's a lot of angst right now. Yeah, and we're yeah. just uh, you know I don't know. I've been running around like crazy. You know, uh, it's uh, start of school season for us and our kids, yep. and I got uh, you know football practice, cheer practice, and. You know, podcast to record. It's crazy. Just so uh, I feel like maybe I'm running around a little too much. I was very uh, tired today, actually. I was like feeling. Well, that's because you had to, you know, work today. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we have a uh, five star review. I noticed. Yeah. I noticed. So, this. Let me read this one. Uh, so it's five star review from Indiana 22 LR. Long Rifle Marksman. Yeah. Like fellow I, 22 guy. Fellow 22 guy. And I love the uh, the username. It's like, it, it's a good one. Yeah. So it was entitled Great with all exclamations. And it says Rad Podcast, all exclamations. Great <laughs> conversation, great content, all exclamations. Well, thank you, Indiana 22 LR yeah. Marksman. Very excited. I, I like all that enthusiasm. So, um, so uh, if anyone out there is looking to support the show, uh, why don't you head on over to our show notes? Or hit me up a DM on Instagram. And why don't you join our Discord page? It's uh, it's a good community. It's nice to have people. Nice way to stay in touch with everybody and have conversations. And it's Keith's even a part of it. It's a lot less, I guess, regulated than some of the other stuff out there. I don't know if it is not, or isn't, not, but not it feels in New York. It. You know, you got to give that stuff up now. But yeah, yeah, that's true. But at least we can say what we want to say. Yeah, that's true. So. So we're going to end this interview. Uh, before we do that, though, tonight's interview is brought to you by Flatline Fiber Co. Flatline creates quality sewn goods for the firearms community. Whether you're looking for a new sling or maybe some ear pro wraps to make range sessions more comfortable, they've got you covered. All products are made by hand in the USA, including free shipping and have a lifetime warranty. Use the discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. And thank you for supporting the companies that support the show. Keith, you ready to do this thing? Let's do it, buddy. All right. So today's guest is the director of legal operations for the Firearms Policy Coalition. He is a graduate of George Washington University and Delaware Law School. He enjoys tinkering with and shooting outdated low capacity handguns. Please welcome Bill Sack to the show. Gentlemen, good to be here. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I uh, I'm a big fan of your organization and uh, what you guys do. So I it's a pleasure to finally get someone a representative on the show. I thought you were going to say you're a big uh, fan of low capacity, you know, antique, uh, outdated handguns. No, I want high capacity. I can't have it here. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's something sick about that, right? I'm in Pennsylvania where I can have whatever mags I want, and I carry a 1911. Oh my gosh! Oh well. Yeah, I- you you should just move here. You'd fit right in. I mean. I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting for my 1911 to come in, Bill, so I can start carrying it. But uh, you know, well, I can only carry it in certain places now. But yeah, yeah, you're waiting on a Nighthawk, right? I am. Thank you for uh, for oh, uh, listening. That's yeah. so fancy. It was supposed to be here a while ago, but should be here any day, hopefully. Have you ever shot uh, one, Bill? I'm I'm sorry. Have you ever shot a Nighthawk? Uh, I have. They are real fancy guns. <laughs> they are real nice guns. Well, Although he's a real I, fancy I guy. Yeah, I'm currently in love with um the alchemy custom weaponry stuff. Oh, the yeah. alchemy guns are the current apple of my eye. They're the 1911 nice syndicate guys got me started and it's, uh, yeah, I can't yeah. stop. Those guys are great. We had them on the show. They're, they're real cool guys. 
So, um, so yeah, they're a great way to spend money. Great oh, yeah. way to spend I, money is watch that show. I've got, uh, I got everything. I got my holsters, my extra mags. I just don't have the gun. Yeah. <laughs> Soon enough. Soon, Soon enough. enough. So, so what exactly are the responsibilities of the director of legal operations? It's a fancy title. It really is. It is right. It's way fancier than I deserve. Um, <laughs> So as director of legal operations, I am like the professional herder of kittens over here at (laughs) FPC legal. Um, So really, you can kind of think of it as like a portfolio management sort of position. So I oversee the entirety of the legal department, which includes the cases that we are working on as lead counsel with our inside litigator, uh, Cody Wisniewski, who came on recently, uh, cases that we're working on with outside counsel, but we are, you know, kind of leading the charge on cases that we're filing uh, amicus briefs on with our uh, preeminent constitutional scholar, Joseph Greenlee, um, and any of the other legal work that that's coming through the department. All of that is kind of my responsibility to, you know, juggle all of the flaming bowling balls at the same time. I picture conference rooms full of guys in nice suits, devil's advocate each other all the time on these cases. Is that accurate? So if instead of the conference room, picture my converted garage, (laughs) and instead of suits, picture jeans covered in dog hair, then yes, you are absolutely right. (laughs) So you guys are not resting on formalities is what you're telling me. <laughs> uh, no, I think anybody that follows our social media knows that we're not big on formality. Yeah. Um, you know, we're kind of salt of the earth, men of the people yeah. uh, sort of organization. And yeah, no, pomp and circumstance is not our deal. Yeah, I thought, sure. I thought I dropped the F-bomb a lot, but you guys dropped the F-bomb a whole lot. <laughs> I say fuck professionally. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, I would like to... Uh, Thank you guys uh, on behalf of gun owners for what you are doing, because I know you guys uh, put a lot of litigation out there and uh, on behalf of gun owners. So thank you very much for that. Uh, It seems like every other day uh, you guys seem to be taking on a new case to restore our rights in some way, shape or form. Uh, What is the internal process that your organization goes through when deciding what cases to move forward? So that's a great question. So it's a combination of things. So, you know, both at an annual and at a quarterly quarterly level, we'll go through and we'll make kind of our strategic decisions as to what the lay of the land is, what our our core uh, issues are going to be for that quarter or for that year, uh, and what jurisdictions we think are are the jurisdictions that are apt and ready for uh, a challenge on on each of those issues. Um, and in the same time, we also leave you know probably another. 20, 30% of our litigation capacity open for things that happen in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes things like a Supreme Court decision come down and we have to be agile and responsive to that. And whatever we thought we were going to do three months ago is adorable and all, but what we have to do now might be a little bit different. I, I can, I sort of feel like that might be what you guys are going through this quarter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely in in a big sprint. You know, we had kind of, um, you know, shell gamed out a few different possibilities for what was going to happen in Bruin and what we were going to need to do as a result. Um, But even with that preparation in mind, once it actually happens, there's there's nothing like the real deal when it's go time. And uh, yeah, we've been busy and, and we will be for the foreseeable future. That's for sure. Yeah, it looks that way. Do you can you think back into a particular time or a, a particular uh, uh, event in your life that sort of gave you your calling for this role in the Second Amendment advocacy world or? Um, I don't know that that I can think of a particular moment. You know, I uh, spent a lot of my formative years out in California. Uh, right after I graduated undergrad, I lived out in L.A. for about 10, 12 years where you know, gun owners are oppressed, repressed, and generally uh, abused. And so when I came back to Pennsylvania and was able to finally go out and get the things that I wanted with relative ease and do the things that I wanted in the gun world and be able to compete and, you know, just exist and and have the rights that, that my existence affords me, uh, restored to me, 
that that was a big thing. Um, and then, you know, I definitely will give a shout out to, you know, to Adam Kraut, um, who's no longer with FPC, but uh, who was definitely a, a huge, a huge uh, mentor in my legal upbringing. You know, he and I went to the law, same law school. He graduated right as I started. And um, if it wasn't for, you know, Adam's voice and and kind of the persona that that he created for himself uh, in the community, kind of representing our generation, uh, kind of, you know, the gun culture 2.0 generation. I think uh, that definitely was something that opened my eyes to, you know, the fact that, you know, there was a space in the two-way advocacy world for people that just weren't like old white guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, I mean, there's a lot of organizations out there that are fighting for, uh, pro 2A rights, right? But when I stumbled across you guys at some point, you know, back back when, uh, it was very clear that you guys were different, right? A little more aggressive, in, in my opinion. Um, definitely, you know, like you said, kind of more salt of the earth, kind of like, it's like, man, this is like probably an organization that I could see me shooting with these guys. It's not like guys who just wear suits and never actually shoot guns, you know? And that's how it feels when I look at your social media and stuff like that. Um, you know, Keith and I are trying to do our part in being positive in the gun community and enjoy shooting and enjoy shooting sports. I know you mentioned you do that, but it really is very difficult in New York and especially in New York right now. Um, and, you know, we'll get into that, some of that stuff, I'm sure. But as a New York gun owner, the rights that I personally can't enjoy uh, but would like to, I mean, include a lot of things like standard capacity magazines, non-compliant AR-15s and suppressors. And, you know, we'll talk about the first two a little later, but I want to talk about the suppressors for a minute. It's my favorite to talk about. Yeah. It's like arguing that hearing protection and minimizing noise for neighbors is a good thing seems to be a slam dunk. I mean, in Europe, you have to have a suppressor, which I think is crazy that we're, you know, so pro-gun in this country, but it's the opposite. Um, But we never really seem to see any legislation on that issue. Um, I know there are organizations that are trying to push it from state to state to state, but here in New York, it's like, it's not even talked about. Is there a reason why gun rights organizations sort of steer clear of this issue? And is it an area that you think that we could ever get some legs on? I think that's definitely an issue that, that will have legs at the right time. Um, I think it's, I, I think it's a little bit of a tricky issue in that it, you know, challenging the NFA, which is what, look, we read the comment sections on our social media, just like every, everybody else does, um, you know, and whichever, whichever case we file or we win, the comment section is full of like, great, now do the NFA. Um, right. You know, the, the unfortunate reality is, is that, you know, despite the fact that the Supreme court um, and courts generally should act under a pretty objective black and white letter of the law and and apply the law and now, you know, apply the proper test as it's been reaffirmed to us in the Bruin decision as it relates to Second Amendment rights um, and, and gun control regulation is that the courts tend to move very slowly and certain courts uh, like the Second Circuit where you guys are have to be dragged kicking and screaming uh, and if you try to go too fast and faster than they're ready to go, what you risk doing is creating more bad precedent and having a brand new 2022 decision that says no to suppressors yep. rather than waiting to potentially get a 2024 decision that is uh, pro suppressor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a little bit of strategy that we have to play there in terms of choosing the right cases in the right order to try to read the tea leaves a little bit and figure out where some of these potentially less than completely principled courts are willing to go so, uh, and push them as far as they're willing to go without entering into uh, the danger zone where we where we risk creating bad precedent, which only is going to make things tougher for the next generation of advocates. So a couple couple things on that. So first off, I want to formally on the air apologize for my comment the other day that I left. I was just frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, you know, when you talk about the NFA, I'm a little confused about this. So I kind of want to the NFA is something that affects basically every American, every state, right? Every citizen, because there's NFA rules that apply. But in New York specifically, I, I think that's I where think, I was going. I think California, there's states where even if the NFA was abolished, even if everybody could have suppressors, New York says 
you can't in our state you we don't we don't have any of that so right because you can have suppressors in pennsylvania right bill yeah yeah yep but you can't in new york so for new york it's not about about abolishing the nfa because even if that happened new york would just say we can't have suppressors i mean the only thing mike and i can think of is the reason why new york doesn't want them is they don't they've watched too many mob movies and they don't want people killing people silently right well yeah i mean the the regulation against suppressors is largely based on Hollywood nonsense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You you know, and it, and not reality, that's for sure. But you know what? So, so is the same regulation based on, based on assault weapons or standard capacity magazines. Sure. Sure. Um, They are no less nonsensical than the regulation and prohibition on suppressors. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, I guess uh, we're stuck with a suppressorless state for a little while. Um, uh, Yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, I hear an oil can. There are certain ones that just, or an oil filter, they just fit right on, but I don't know anything about that. Um, Bill, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the ATF frame receiver redefinition. And, you know, basically, you know, they're expanding the amount of parts they can, they can regulate. And, uh, you know, Mike, I was going to, ask you a question about this before uh, we, we let Bill talk because it, it kind of shocked me. They're really defining, they're really changing the way that like on your new P320, you know, what they are now defining as the frame uh, would be what I would traditionally call like the trigger assembly. The SIG is an interesting situation because really I wouldn't call either one um a frame or a receiver, right? So the terms they're using is there's a fire control unit. That's correct. The, the trigger. And what's unique in this case is that the fire control unit is actually the serialized. That's the actual gun, right? That's the part you have to get background checked. I can take that and I can put it in my pocket and I can walk around all day and I have a, a gun in my pocket, even though all it is is a little and spring you, and a you, trigger. You can't shoot. use it. <laughs> right. The grip, like when I changed from my P365 to the Wilson Combat, Wilson Combat that's just a grip module. That's what they call it, right? So, uh, I mean, I guess you could get into nuance of what the frame and what the receiver and all that. But well, I think that's what they're trying to do here. I think yeah. that's what the ATF was trying to do is just trying to. So let me let me kind of continue nuance. down the path, and then I want to get sort of Bill's opinion on this. With a like an AR-15, right? The receiver, the lower receiver, is the serialized part, the same Correct. as my fire control unit, and then everything else is just parts. That, and that's unchanged. Yep. That, that that hasn't changed. Everything else is just parts, right? An upper receiver is a part. None of that's serialized. You can swap them in and out. You don't have to do background checks. None of that. Um, so my understanding, well, actually I don't really have a good understanding of it. So Bill, has that, is that look, are they looking to change that to make serialized parts that have a lot of things and not just the lower receiver? No. All, well, <laughs> if you believe what they have to yes. say, no. Uh, but if you read what the rule actually says, the question is, the answer is Maybe. Uh, you know, the reality is that the final rulemaking that they put out is like 300 pages of yep. relative gobbledygook. Um, and one of the problems that that we raised in our challenge, you know, we're, we're suing on on APA grounds uh, challenging this new rulemaking uh, in the northern district of Texas. Um, and we actually received a, we received an injunction in that case. What, what do you mean by APA? So APA uh, is the Administrative Procedures Act. So when an administrative agency like the ATF, in this case, promulgates a new rulemaking, uh, often the the best way and in some instances, the only way to challenge that rulemaking uh, is through by challenging it under the APA. And, and what the APA basically sets forth is the rules that an administrative agency has to follow before they can create a yes. rulemaking that has has the power of law. And, and so I want this case, I wanted to stop you to do to define it a little bit, because really, I think that's what sort of the argument is with these agencies. And then we're not just I mean, I'm not just we're talking ATF in this particular case, but it's EPA, you know, EPA it's, yeah, uh, IRS, you know, any of those, uh, what do we call them, alphabet people, you know, um, that that's really the problem, right, Bill, is like, you guys are up against the wall. This is the only avenue you have to dispute some of that stuff, correct? 
Yeah, Free, very frequently that that is the only avenue um, because this is a regulation, yep. not a piece of legislation. So the means by which we can challenge it and the procedure for which we challenge that or with which we challenge that is different. So when you challenge an a, uh, a ATF regulation, uh, an APA challenge is typically the way that that's done. So how do these regulations, um, like you know, with the ATF in this example, they don't have the power of law in terms of you know they're they're not uh, they're not lawmakers, but they're given sort of the authority to make these regulations. But like, where does that fall into the whole constitutionality and the whole constitutional rights of you know you have certain rights that are granted by your creator? right, through the Constitution, and how are they able to get away with that? Is it because of this APA? Is that what allows that? Like, I, like for instance, if the, if the ATF says you can no longer do X, Y, or Z, and I go, well, sorry, that's not a law, that's a regulation, and I'm not following regulations, I'm going to follow laws. Obviously, we know the answer is that I can be in a lot of trouble. However, how is that possible? Because I'm not breaking laws at this point. Right, so... Really, oftentimes when they create a rulemaking such as this one, what they're doing is they are filling in the gaps uh, and writing interpretations and policies that fill in the gaps surrounding uh, a, a piece of legislation. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. So, so in law school, they tell us that the administrative agencies are are creatures of statute, which means that they only exist. To the extent that some statute that's been passed by Congress and signed by the president creates them and empowers them to do something. So in this create in this case, you know, the ATF exists because there is a statute that created it, um, and and that was passed by Congress and signed by the by the president. And then they have the power to regulate to kind of fill in the gaps in between where. Uh, the statute is not completely explicit. So, for example, um, in this case, the the statute at issue defines a firearm or frame a receiver of a firearm that can be readily converted, um, readily or frame a receiver of a weapon that can be readily converted into into a fully functioning firearm. And what the ATF is seeking to do here is interpret what that means. And they're saying, okay, given the changes in technology and times have changed, what readily convertible means and what a frame of a weapon that is, quote, readily convertible now means this. And it means something different than perhaps it meant before, um, or we are clarifying what it meant all along. If, you know, you ask the ATF, they'll tell you it meant this all along. Yeah. We're just clarifying. That's what they're doing here, Um, right? That's what they're really trying to do. But it also looks the way I'm sort of reading some of the stuff is like they're really expanding record keeping requirements and um, retention requirements. You know, that that is just mind boggling to me, you know, right. That's, that's, I don't, I don't really understand it, I guess. Yeah. There are, there are some record keeping requirements that are being expanded, especially in regards to suppressors. Um, You know, the primary focus of the rulemaking, despite the fact that the rulemaking itself, if you actually read the language is, is rather unclear. Um, (laughs) Surprising. You know, what, yeah. And, you know, we raise that issue repeatedly in in our APA challenge against this rule. And I can talk about the kind of the legal grounds under which we do that. Um, but what the ATF is communicating through through some subsequent letters and communications with some dealers is what it seems like their focus really is on is the what's been you know kind of co- colloquially called the build by shoot kits that was a polymer yes. 80 yeah. branded item i was just going to say really what they're looking for it sounds like is things like 3d printed guns ghost guns uh you know uh 80% lowers that seems to be what they're hunting after with this not a lower receiver that you buy from Aero Precision that's, you know, serial that's roll punched and serialized and all that stuff. Correct? That that seems to be where this is Well it's it's actually well, depending on how you look at it, better or worse. It, it's potentially even 
less less broad than that. So I suppose narrower than that okay. is, you know, as we've known all along, a complete but stripped lower. Like if you buy a complete arrow lower, that's still considered a firearm. You got to do your paperwork on it. It goes through an FFL. Right. Um, the question that is arising from uh, this current rulemaking and what the ATF seems to be signaling at this point and has now argued in court filings is that the application of this new rule doesn't actually touch 80% lowers at all. I didn't see it once so in the rule. Th- I'm sorry? Didn't see it once in the rule. Didn't see anything about 80%. Right. So so just like before this rulemaking came out, it was completely legal for you to buy an 80 percent AR lower. And it is what we call in a lot of our uh, litigation non-firearm objects or NFOs. So it is a non-firearm object. It is a piece of matter that is not a firearm. Um, an 80 percent lower, uh, according to the ATF, it in court filings at this point is unaffected by the new rulemaking. You can still go buy an 80 percent lower and it is still not a gun. It doesn't need to be serialized. Uh, you don't need to go through an FFL. It is still a non firearm object. What they appear to be arguing now is that when you have a non firearm, 80 percent lower or this, you know, something equivalent and it's sold with tools or jigs to complete it now they start to get antsy and when it is sold in conjunction with tools and jigs now they claim you are in the realm of the readily convertible and now the item needs to be serialized and needs to be sold through an ffl with all of the associated so if they if they sold those separately they're okay. That's what Polymer 80 started doing. They stopped doing serialized guns and they stopped selling them as like these kits, I believe. I have read that today. But what's funny about this is let's just take a moment to laugh at how silly this is. Well, it's, yeah, it's like it's absurd. It's, it's, absurd. Oh, it's absolutely absurd. You know, but but I, I've I mean, been around I, long enough to know the slippery slope of it may start off as no, 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 it's fine as long as you don't have the tools with it. And then eventually it'll go, no, no, now you can't do that either. I, okay, that's fair. But, you know, the other thing that I'm still trying to determine is it, this, this is a problem. Like there is a lot of crime happening with people doing this i I, i'm i'm just confused about what the problem so not only is it not a problem uh not only is it a non-problem but this rule that they have promulgated if it's enforced and put into action the way they are now representing they plan to in court filings it's a non-solution to the non-problem well of course because it doesn't change anything except the fact that you can't buy your your jig and your drill bits Along with your frame, you have to acquire them separately. The, the problem with so Keith, your question was actually a very good and fair question of like, is this a problem? But let like let's touch on that for a second because if you look at the United States and you look at homicides, you look at you know gun gun crimes, things like that, uh, it, it is high, right? Like like compared to other um, industrialized nations, we we are high, right? Now the part that people leave out though when we talk about this is uh, suicides is in there. Which that's terrible, right? And I don't want to make it easier for people to to harm themselves. But at the same time, like you know, there's plenty of people who aren't looking to harm themselves, and they shouldn't have their rights trampled on because of it. That includes it, it that includes police officers discharging their firearm in in the in their job, right? There's there's all these you, other things that when you take them out and we look at actual crime numbers, yep. actual crime numbers again. Gang violence. Gang violence is crime, but it's like, you know, bad fighting bad. And the good guy shouldn't be lumped into that. Like, so these numbers are, you know, it's very confusing when you just lump them all together. And the problem is, is but when you do lump them all together, you create this media circus, which we all know how that goes. And then the problem is uh, it turns into what you say all the time of, this side versus that side, and this side goes, if we just talk about all this media hype about guns, we're going to get votes. Yeah. And it turns into so, that. So let's talk, about the, the, let's talk about the suicide thing for a second. Like, okay, first of all, just so everyone's clear, I'm very, I, I have no desire to hurt myself or kill myself, right? That's not a thing, right, for me. But I'm an overachiever. And if guns weren't around and I wanted to hurt myself, I would still hurt myself. I think most people, actually, to be honest, a gun sounds like a horrible, it wouldn't be like 
overdosing on pills or something that seems a little more like know, just jump go off to, a building or a, I, you know I, it all sounds I, terrible to me yeah. but <laughs> well, i don't yeah. want to do any of it but right. but do you know what i'm saying right. like it just doesn't I, I just think because that's the tool that they used i don't think there's any guarantee okay maybe you're going to stop a percentage of them right right but well it's like the ar-15 like if you look at percentage wise how many ar-15s are used in crime it's much lower than pistols. so i i want to i don't want to go into specifics on anything mike i know you and i kind of had a commitment we were going to try not to do specific stuff around New York too much right now because it'll get us heated. But Bill, my my question to you is one of the you know debates that that devil's advocate debates that Mike and I had today recently before we got on on the air was how does the gun control side of this argument feel that these laws that they're passing or these these in this case the ATF. How do they feel that they are within their right to do it and that they are with outside of the boundaries of the Second Amendment and that it's not affected by that? You know, my feeling is that they truly believe they are within their right. I, I don't be, I don't want to believe that they're sitting there saying, well, we know this isn't right, but we're going to do it anyway. That's sort of Mike's argument. Well, I, my, my argument is that they just they want to get more gun control and they just throw tons and tons of legislation knowing that it's going to go in and then we're going to have to fight and fight and fight to get it back and it's going to take a lot of time and and we get only half of it back right or or whatever so my my question you bill is you know you deal with this a lot more than we do do you really think that they know what they're doing is wrong and and that it won't stand up and they're just hoping it will or do they really think they're right I think it's a combination of of all of the above. I That's mean, a great I lawyer answer, by the way. Really, thanks for lawyering that up, Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it depends. The classic lawyer answer. It depends, right? So there there are certainly you know certain politicians and certain circumstances where they really know that they're they're really pushing their luck with some new novel legal mechanism um, or some new novel law that they're just they want to try it out. And they're pretty sure that they're over over the line, um, but they're willing to try to see what the courts say, number one. And I think there is also an element, which you guys mentioned, which, you know, a lot of people in this fear are aware of, which is, you know, the process is the punishment, right? Like forcing the other side to go through the expense and the time and the energy and the expenditure of resources to get it overturned is is a way of you know bleeding the other side of of their resources and their energy you know make them fight it so there is some of that sure um but then there are you know there are i'm sure well-meaning if not misguided individuals on the other side who you know believe that okay there is a lot of wiggle room in the joints in the american legal system yeah and if they see an opening in one direction, they're going to try to push that door open and see how far they can get in there before the courts start to reel them back a little bit. And actually, that's a, that actually is a good answer. And it actually does bridge the gap between us in the terms of I think you're right in terms Keith. Keith is right in terms of the idea that they look and they have a lawyer go, you know what? I think there's a little bit of tolerance here. I think we could win this. And then my point of it is, and hell, if it doesn't, well, they're going to have to fight for a few years to get it back and maybe they'll get half of it back. So it's kind of like, it's almost like we're, we're both kind of right, right? So yeah, it's well, a little bit of both, unfortunately. We, we, we have to say we're both right or else yeah. we'll never... That's where they'll move on. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to kind of keep things on a... A happy note? A, 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 a national <laughs> level in terms of like, obviously it's not just about New York. Um, we right. can talk about New York if you want. Just ask <laughs> well, the New York uh, questions. My, my, Let's go. Arg- my no. argument on that is, is that what's happening in New York is national. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it's in every mainstream media that I read and I'm not, you know, I don't just read things in New York. Um, you know, it, and Mike, you've said this on the show in a pat, you know, what happens here can happen anywhere. Yes, definitely. So Nyserpa v. Bruin was a landmark case for gun owners. And I, and I certainly, personally, I was excited. I was rejuvenated by it. I was like, right. It was like, man, all right, finally. Um, but we've already seen judges blatantly ignore the ruling by refusing to apply strict scrutiny or creating even more, you know, they're creating more draconian laws. And certainly that's, you know, New York is the case. But like I saw it in Minnesota the other day where a judge just, he was not going to view it in that lens. So if the judges won't follow the Supreme Court's direction, and the executive branch refuses to enforce it, where do we go from here, Bill? 
So, so good question. So first thing, I'll take a step back and, and just clarify. So you mentioned strict scrutiny, which is gone. There is no more interest balancing in, uh, in Second Amendment analysis right. anymore. So historic, so history what, and tradition, that's yeah. what they're going with now? Exactly. Yeah, so, okay. the, so the correct test, and which was affirmed by Bruin as saying this is the this has been the correct test all along under Heller, um, is you start with the text of the Second Amendment, and then if you need to understand what the text says and interpret it, you look at you look at the history and tradition within a bounded date range. So you're looking at the history and tradition of analogous firearm regulation from around the time of the ratification. Um, up through Reconstruction, which is around the time that the Fourteenth Amendment. Yeah. What 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 time what? frame is that in terms of year? Seventeen ninety something, right? Seventeen nineties to the mid eighteen hundreds. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm so, proud that I knew that. Uh, I was impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I mean, you guys are just humble podcasters pulling out this info. <laughs> um, so uh, the question in the Bruin is, you know, is does it fall within the, the plain reading of the text, which is to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Um, so looking at, you know, what are the New York courts and what are the, the courts nationally going to do? Uh, we have not seen a lot of courts completely thumb their noses at this yet. Um, so far, what we've seen more so is courts kind of kick the can down the road. And stall. I, I call a him, bit. I, I call been, him chicken. I think that's more appropriate. It is. There is definitely <laughs> some of that. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think I just, this. I think this Nyserpa case that was dismissed, you know, just a little bit. And I'm sorry, I can't help myself, Mike. Um, I mean, Sudaby. I think he's chicken. I mean, he basically said, if 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 I wasn't going to dismiss this case. I would say it's unconstitutional. He dismissed it on a technic on a te- he technically had the right to dismiss it. However, he also didn't have to dismiss it. He was it. chicken. He chose not to. He was chicken. So, yes, there, there is certainly um, you know, judges out there and and sometimes the judges are, you know, frankly looking to avoid speaking on an issue that they would prefer to not have their name attached to I was and come say to that a conclusion that that maybe they don't want to come to, although, you know, in fairness, there are judges that have pretty strong procedural bents to them and that absolutely love the procedure of the law and truly believe as, you know, uh, as a principled uh, way of undertaking their jurisprudence that if they can avoid the merits of a case by uh, finding some procedural fault, that they actually have a duty to do so. <laughs> Um, well, I'm sure, I'm sure he would agree with you on that. There are, there are judges out there, you know, to give them the benefit of the doubt, perhaps where it's not always warranted. Um, but, but that said, I mean, I I don't want to, to underscore enough, or I don't think we can underscore enough how big the Bruin decision is. Um, you know, this is a decision that will change the landscape for the you know all of our lifetimes in terms of the future of the second amendment. I, you know, I hope you're right. The, I mean problem, it doesn't feel that way now. The problem that that I have really is um it's, it's taken just, too long. Well, it's not that. It's just it's so frustrating because you know it felt like a big win, but to be quite honest, you know, we we don't live in New York City and uh, certainly are, you know, I see what it does on the grand scheme of things in terms of the history and tradition piece. I understand the importance of that. I, I truly do. But when you have a governor who just says... We felt like we went backwards. Oh, we've 100% gone backwards, right? Like, I mean, it's gone really, really bad here. I mean, I keep saying, like, New York is bleeding over here, you know? And yeah. um, it's, you know, we know that things don't happen fast. So b- back to my question is, where do we go from here? You know... Where do we go from here if states like, Cal- I'll stay away from New York for example, California, New Jersey, you know, Maryland, other states that their judges are just simply going to, either their governors are going to enact laws that they interpret, to use yep. your words, Keith, they interpret are okay and legal, um, or they're just going to, judges are going to continue to kick the can down the road, you know, where do we go from here? How do we fix that? Right. So the the short answer there is incrementally, um, (laughs) although in fairness, you know, we are undertaking the most, I think, 
comprehensive and aggressive litigation package as a strategy that uh, I don't know that anything else has has really compared to it, especially in the Second Amendment space. Um, and we're not alone in that. You know, there are other Second Amendment groups that are doing that are doing work as well. But I mean, at FPC, we've got over fifty live pieces of litigation going on right now concurrently, and we've got more coming. Um, and my understanding is, by the time that this uh, podcast airs, we're going to have a bunch more for you guys that that you'll be able to link in the description, including a couple in New York, which you guys seem to be really excited about. So yeah. um, stay tuned. There's some some exciting stuff coming for New York. Okay. Um, so the thing that we need to understand with Bruin is Bruin was not the final win. It's not like Bruin comes down and we go, that's it. We won. All of the gun control evaporates. All of the gun grabbers have right. to take their ball and go home. And we get to celebrate in the streets. And, you know, they start handing out drum mags uh, <laughs> at, at the local 7-Eleven. Yeah. Um, what it did do uh, is invalidate the last decade or so of circuit court precedent in most of the circuits, not in all of them, but in most of the circuits around the country that had undertaken this interest balancing two prong test, which they had made up out of nowhere um, or created from whole cloth, as attorneys like to say, um, which is now gone. Uh, so, all of these cases over the last decade that upheld gun control, upheld uh, standard capacity magazine bans, upheld assault weapons bans, upheld firearm rosters like there is in California and Massachusetts are all gone. So what we now have to do is go back through all of the litigation that happened for the last 10 years and do it again and say, hey, courts. The way you guys did this the first time, you did it wrong. The Supreme Court just smacked you on the wrist for doing it wrong. Do it again and do better. Um, and, you know, that is going to take some time. But boy, are we in a good spot now compared to where we were before the end of June of this year. Well, you're you're making me feel a little better, Bill. So I thank appreciate you, that. Feel, yeah, you should you. feel good about where you're at. We're going to start winning. You just have to give it a little time. Well, we're going to start winning. We don't have a choice. Uh, I just have to wake up every day and decide if I'm going to be a criminal as I before I walk out the door. But um, one more question on some litigation stuff that I, I, with the ATF, I guess, more so than anything else that I just wanted you to give me a little bit of. Um, uh, current, current updates on is pistol braces. I'm having a real hard time keeping up with the back and forth. Uh, so give me the current situation. Uh, the current situation in terms of formal, uh, a formal rulemaking is yes. there is no, there is no current situation. Um, the, the formal rulemaking has not come out yet. Okay. Um, we have reason to believe that it may be coming relatively soon. Uh, but we don't have it yet. And until it's published, we don't know what it is it's going to say precisely. Um, and we uh, we can't file any challenges uh, challenging it. And this, like the, the receiver rule, would, would be an APA-based challenge. We can't challenge it until it exists. So we know what the proposed rule said. And we all saw, I call it the, you know, the, the worksheet of death. <laughs> uh, with the ridiculous point system, you know, if it has sites on it, you know, move up three spaces. And if it doesn't have sites, move back three spaces. And, you know, the the Yahtzee game that was that that worksheet. Uh, we don't know if we're going to be keeping the worksheet. We don't know if ATF abandoned it altogether. Um, we like, you know, everybody else saw just recently in the news that leaked ATF document that talked about a uh, braced pistol amnesty period for adding those. Uh, brace pistols into the NFA. Uh, that seems to be, uh, that document seems to have proven out to be legitimate, but, you know, until we know the exact circumstances that they seem to claim that that certain brace prist braced pistols or potentially all brace pistols are SBRs and need to be uh, registered, all of that remains to be seen. So we're, we're still in a wait and see. Um, but, uh, Boy, are we ready for them to release that thing, and and they should expect some tasty lawsuits coming their way if if they choose to do half of the dumb things they put in that proposed rule. Okay, thank you for the update. Appreciate that. 
so if uh, people are looking to uh, reach out to you guys or uh, connect with you guys on Instagram and, and all your social media, where can people find you guys at? What's the best places? Yeah. Yeah. So our main website is firearmspolicy.org. Uh, you go there. That'll take you to our main splash page. You can sign up to become a member. Uh, you can send us your hard-earned money, which we then turn into lawsuits. Um, <laughs> Be happy to do you that. You can buy a yeah, you can buy FPC T-shirts and hoodies and coffee mugs and flags and all that good stuff to aggravate your family members. Um, you can go directly to fpclegal.org where you can see all of the work that my legal team is doing. Uh, we organize that page both geographically so you can see all the cases that we're involved in in your area as well as chronologically so you can see what the most current cases and the, what, what the most current movement in the various cases are. Um, that's very helpful by the way. I go there all the time. I didn't know you guys sold merch. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm just, I'm looking at it right now. You guys are about to make yourself some money. Keith's about to go. I love, I love, I love second amendment merch. He's going on a shopping spree. So our our graphics department goes pretty hard too. I think there's some winners in there and it turns over pretty regularly too. So make sure you check back. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Definitely will. No doubt. About um, it. So that that's all the main stuff. We are gun policy on most of the socials. If you go to Instagram, we're at gun policy. We are at gun policy on Twitter. All right. My favorite one so far is I don't lose shit <laughs> with a picture of a boat. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do boating accidents. We don't do boating accidents. We keep our shit. Awesome. I love it. That's funny. So I want to get you over to run and gun and, and play with us. But uh, before we do that, running gun is sponsored by resurgent arms. Uh, They've been really great to us, and they do a lot of New York, California compliancy kind of stuff, but they also do some really cool uh, carbon fiber handguards now. So if you want to go check out their stuff, get 12% off with our discount code, GUNEXPERIMENT12. So, Bill, we want to do running gun. It's 10 questions, rapid fire. We want you to give us the first answer that comes to your mind. And, Keith, you want to get them on the clock? I uh, am ready to. We've had a lot of record breaking on this lately, Bill. So if you're... uh, if you're, a, if you're a gamesman. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, here we go. What is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Alchemy Custom Quantico High Cap. What gun would you buy if money was no object? M45A1 Custom Shop. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? John Moses Browning. Favorite caliber? 45 ACP. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Eating cheese steaks. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Invisibility. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Pistol. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Ooh. Oh, man, I'm burning time here. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let's mix it up. Man, how'd he do? He would have been in second if he didn't burn that last question. Uh, but oh, uh, that one was tough. He, too many uh, good choices. Yeah, he, he he's in the top five. Forty-eight point eleven. Forty-six uh, is the record. Forty-six and change. No, thirty-six. Frank, Frank killed it the last time. He he did thirty-six. Um, but uh, yeah, you were close there, Bill. All right. Yeah, you were definitely on a roll for a while, and then wah, wah, wah. I know. I I had flashes of eighties action movies at the end. I got excited. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say this: uh, your favorite hobby of eating cheesesteaks. That was a phenomenal answer. <laughs> I I love that one. <laughs> yeah, except I'm good you, at it except too. you're weird. I'm good you, at it. you like your cheesesteaks, Mike, with lettuce and tomato. <laughs> like, who the hell does that? Have you ever had a hoagie cheesesteak? Yeah, a cheesesteak hoagie. Yeah, yeah. Cheesesteak hoagie. See, Keith makes fun. Yeah, I mean, mean, who puts lettuce? I mean, and tomato some people like salad in their cheesesteaks. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> um, it's a real silly okay. thing. Some people shoot XDs. I mean, you know, teach their own. <laughs> I love it. All right, so listen up, guys. Let's mix it up. Is brought to you by Onsite Firearms Training. They have an extensive course offering and teach classes across the country. You're guaranteed to find a course to meet your needs. To so check them out and get trained by the same outfit that trains the gun expert, Keith. We love those guys. Speaking of that, can yes. I sneak in? To Saturday's class. Yeah, we'll we'll talk to Ben. All right, cool. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're doing a, we're doing medical training finally. Yeah, I'm I'm not going away, so okay. I, I want to try sneak in. Awesome. Okay. okay. All right. Cool. So on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we want to discuss assault weapon bans on the both the state and the federal level. So uh, I sort of 
briefed you with what we were thinking of talking about just so you could prepare. Um, let's start on the federal level. So H.R. Uh, 1808 is the new federal assault weapons ban that's being tossed around left and right. Um, so I, I, I got to say, um, I've seen you guys pushing this, you know, that it's it's coming, it's coming kind of a thing. Um, you know, where are we at with this bill? I mean, is this is this impending doom? What's going on here? <laughs> Well, you never really know. That's the problem with with these politicians. You know, like one of the things that that we pride ourselves on at FPC is we are completely nonpartisan, right? We are a all gun rights all the time and all rights all the time organization. Um, We have never and we will never support a particular political party or a particular candidate because at the end of the day, uh, do you know who wins in every election? The government yeah. uh, and the government is not for us. So uh, what's going to happen here? Uh, a- as you guys, I'm sure, are aware, and I'm sure your your educated listeners are aware, you know, H.R. 1808, which is a national assault weapons ban, and it's a pretty typical assault weapons ban. It's a feature based ban. You know, anything that has a detachable box magazine that has any of the scary features, you know, like a grip uh, or a barrel uh, or the ability to fire a cartridge, uh, you know, has to be banned because it's it's naughty, it's extra naughty, um, and assaulty um, uh, has made its way through the house. Uh, it did it did pass through the house with with the uh, votes that it needed to pass, ultimately coming from Republicans. So you know, ultimately, neither party is is really the party for the people. Um, so it, it now is going to go to the Senate um, and the Senate, as you guys are aware, for the last two years, we have an equally divided Senate uh, and there are some swing votes in there. And to expect the Senate to act in any sort of principled manner based on what party affiliation might be or any other affiliation for that matter uh, is to expect disappointment. So we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but knowing that the individual that currently sits in the White House would be thrilled to sign it should it get past the Senate. Um, it is absolutely content, contingent upon all of us uh, to make sure that it does not pass through the Senate. Um, and, you know, we have a couple websites set up to that effect. Um, do you think it'll you go before go to- the midterms? I mean, do you think that they're going to make a decision before that? Or do you think that that is a little too aggressive? I, I really don't know. I mean, there are two schools of thought there in terms of the the political tea leaf reading. Uh, some schools of thought think that that potentially an assault weapons ban becomes a rallying cry that excites the Democratic base. And so they want to bring it ahead of time to try to get people to vote. Uh, some corners of of the legislative world think that it's too divisive of an issue and they would rather not bring it up before the midterms because there are a couple swing states where an assault weapons ban feels too extreme and could potentially uh, work in the Republicans' favor. So at the end of the day, your guess is as good as mine. I am but a humble attorney. Yeah, I was just reading today like that the midterms are getting like it's getting like, you know, fingernail biting time. Like it's it, in back when it was like, oh man, like the economy is tanking, like the Republicans have this on lockdown and like now it's like, man, it's getting a little bit nerve-wracking for sure. So, yeah, you know, I mean, his, history proves out that the party out of power typically, typically. Uh, does pretty well at, at the midterms. And so that would be the Republicans in this instance. Right. Um, the extent to which that actually plays out and the the scope of that that shift is yet to be seen. But, yeah, at one point it seemed like it was going to be a red wave and now maybe not so much. Yeah. So let's let's switch over to the uh, the state level. So I went on your site. It is a very good resource to see what you guys are up to. And uh, I know that there's a bunch of uh, assault weapon ban uh, cases going on in different states. I just going to rattle them off really quick. But we have in New Jersey, there's Cheeseman versus Platkin. California's Miller v. Bonta, which I've been hearing that for a while. Uh, that one's been back and forth. Maryland is mm-hmm. uh, Bianchi v. Frosch. And then New York, we had, uh, you guys had Vancoff v. James. I'm going to leave that one for last. 
Um, but uh, the other three, Maryland, California, New Jersey, are those still active cases? Sure. Okay. So before we do that, I just real quick want to throw out our plug for um, a couple of our websites for HR 1808, just to close the loop on that. Yeah, that'd be fine. So it's important important that everybody goes to beat hr1808.com. That's our one-click politics, uh, one-click politics page. So you go there and then that way you can get in touch with your senator and let your senator know to oppose uh, HR1808. So that's beathr1808.com. And then the other one that we've just recently set up is fightawb.com. So AWB is an assault weapons ban, fightawb.com. Uh, if you go to that one, you can sign up uh, to donate and become a member of FPC. And this is the fun part about this one. And unfortunately, you New Yorkers are going to hate this. Uh, you can be entered to win a BNT KH9SD, the one that comes uh, integrally suppressed, which you guys unfortunately can't. I'll, I'll just change yeah. my address to your address and we'll be yeah, all set. You can have it delivered to my house. I <laughs> will take possession of it and you can come shoot it anytime you want. Wow, that's um, nice of you. It'll be Good. super fun. So beat hr1808.com and fightawb.com. My uh my humble associates at the communications team would murder me if I did not share our important links to these things. Um okay, moving on to the state cases. Uh we've got Bianchi, we've got Miller, we've got Cheeseman. Um, and Vanch off until recently. So which one, which one do you want to talk so about? So first of all, let's talk about, so, uh, the Vanch off, that one has been dropped. I want to get to that last. So let's leave that at the bottom. Okay. Um, but Maryland, California, New Jersey, are those cases still active or are they still being pursued? Absolutely still active. Okay. Um, so, uh, Bianchi, which is the Maryland assault weapons case. This was another case that was up on cert before the Supreme Court at the same time that Bruin was up. Um, and what the Supreme what the Supreme Court did uh, was what we call anecdotally as GVR, which stands for granted, vacated, and remanded, um, and sent that case back down to the Fourth Circuit. So right. the GVR granted means they heard the case, they agreed to hear the case. Vacated means they undid um, or uh, erased the, the Fourth Circuit's decision which upheld that assault weapons ban and remanded means it gets sent back down for that court to give it another try. So basically what they did was uh, they sent it back down to the Fourth Circuit and said, Fourth Circuit, you did this the wrong way. Now using the instructions that we have set forth in Bruin, you get a do-over, do it right this time. Um, and you'll see that that the, the GVRing of these cases has been a common theme um, across all of these uh, assault weapons cases at different levels in the process. Um, but a lot of them have been uh, granted, vacated, and remanded and sent back down to the, a, a lower court to, to be uh, reconsidered in light of Bruin. So that's where we're at on a lot of these. Okay, so just so that I'm clear on this, if let's say, for instance, um, Cheeseman versus Platkin uh, went through, goes to the court, and the court says, no, you know, this this isn't right, and we are going to side with, uh, I'm assuming Cheeseman is the plaintiff, correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So they go that route. Let's say it goes that route. Now, that would have no effect on us as New Yorkers because we're in different uh, circuit courts, and and it, it wouldn't necessarily affect our region or our mm-hmm. state, but it would create a precedent correct. which down the road could help us in cases that we might be fighting that I'm correct on all that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So these cases, you know, the, the federal court system looks kind of like a pyramid, right? The Supreme court is at the top. They're the point Uh, below that is the, the circuit courts. They're the regional courts, the appellate courts. And below that are all the district courts. So things that start at the top in terms of decisions that come from the top affect everybody underneath of them. But the opposite is not true. So if you get a district court in New Jersey, um, so, for example, the the New Jer- District of New Jersey court where Cheeseman currently is, that's where the case starts. If that court says um, assault weapons bans or this particular assault weapons ban is unconstitutional, uh, that is only binding on that district. 
if that then goes up on appeal and goes, it would go to the third circuit. So the third circuit is uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Yep. If the third circuit on appeal said, we think the district court got this absolutely correct. Assault weapons bans are unconstitutional. Now uh, that ruling applies to the entirety of the circuit. So Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware, which is relevant because Delaware just passed an assault weapons ban. So even though the Delaware would not be a party to that case, there would be binding precedent in that circuit that says, well, geez, guys, uh, assault weapons bans are unconstitutional, so you're going to have to change that. Um, if it goes from the Third Circuit and gets appealed again up to the Supreme Court, and then the Supreme Court says assault weapons bans are unconstitutional, now it affects everybody. So now, ultimately, um, so that's it. selfishly, aren't we better off having these kind of get lost and appealed over and over until we get to the Supreme Court? In the way that Bill just described it. But when it goes the other way, it's it's more complicated. Well, not if you keep appealing and up to the top. And, of course, the Supreme Court has to take the case, obviously. Well, almost... The, right. and, I'm sorry, Bill. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. The my the way I almost heard you say it is if, if the district... If the lowest point of the... Or the lowest part of the pyramid... The district. The district ruled in Cheeseman's favor. Would it not be beneficial for them to not appeal it in case it goes, in case the appeal is held up? Do you oh, understand what I'm saying? For New Jersey, it definitely, yeah. oh, it definitely does. I'm saying nationwide, ultimately what benefits us is for these to get appealed and appealed and appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court, right? That's... But it doesn't. It doesn't get guaranteed to go to the yeah, Supreme Court. No, it doesn't. They they could not take the the case. Obviously. Um, what what is, so so just just to you know close the loop on that thought a little bit. The the Supreme Court, unlike uh, the district courts and the circuit courts, which have to take any cases that come before them, the Supreme Court uh, works on a certiorari process right. where it takes four justices to vote to take the case. Yep. So hundreds of cases uh, petition for certiorari before the Supreme Court every year uh, and never get picked. And so if they don't get picked, what happens is, is the currently standing, oftentimes that's that's the circuit court decision, is what's allowed to stand. Right. Um, so, yeah, there is there is some strategy in when it comes to what cases do you want to appeal or not appeal. Um, and for that matter, cases that you want to bring and don't want to bring and where you want to bring them. Right. Um, you know, there are and what we saw – uh, for the last 10 years or so is, you know, when the Supreme Court is kind of playing coy and choosing to not take these cases. And let's remember, you know, in the history of the Republic, the Supreme Court has taken three Second Amendment cases and they didn't take the first one until 2008. So when we think about, you know, the long arc of history here, the likelihood that they take any any case, let alone any Second Amendment case, is very slim. Right. Um, there are there are gun cases every year that uh, petition to go before the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court turns their back. Um, so the fact that they finally took a case and that we got the outcome that we were hoping for in Bruin is nothing short of monumental. Right. Um, but I think you know one of the things that you guys are also talking about is. Because we have circuit courts all over uh, the country, one of the things that you can have happen is you can have, let's say, a court in California. So they're in the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit can come to one conclusion on a particular issue. They might say, for the following reasons, we say assault weapon bans are unconstitutional. And then you have a court uh, like the Second Circuit in New York say, we're going to uphold this. We think we think assault weapon bans are constitutional. What you've got there is a circuit split. That's what's called a circuit split, where you've got two different federal circuits disagreeing on the same almost identical legal issue. Okay. Um, when, when you create a circuit split, that is a great way to get the Supreme Court's attention. Because being that the federal laws are supposed to be applied evenly and the federal constitution is supposed to be applied evenly all over the country and what the federal constitution says should not be interpreted differently in California versus in New York versus in Texas, uh, when you have circuit splits, that is often red meat for the Supreme Court to step in and go, okay, 
children, we are going to resolve this once and for all. Um, so part of, uh, you know, the, the strategy of, of filing these sorts of cases in multiple jurisdictions, uh, one, it's more bites at the apple and it's more opportunities to get uh, any of these courts to do the right thing and apply Bruin properly as the test was laid out. Um, but in the event that one of these courts decides to go rogue and squint really hard and bend over backwards and back themselves into some sort of uh, really tortured upholding of gun control, uh, once we have another court not do that, well, now we've got a circuit split. Um, and then we have a really good argument for the Supreme Court to take up a new gun case, which you know, is generally very hard to do and historically almost impossible. That explains a lot. It was actually a good education. So thank you for that. Uh, I kind of want to wrap up with what we said uh, we would, which was the New York case of uh, Van Toff versus James. And um, you, that was recently dropped. Uh, that would be the comment I left in your, <laughs> in your, in your uh, Instagram feed. Um, man, I was not happy that day. But uh, I, since I have you on the show, I, I want to to kind of get right from the horse's mouth. Like, why was that dropped? And, you know, is there other stuff in the wings? It sounds like there may be, um, if you want to just sure. give an explanation. So I, I have to give you a little bit of a lawyerly answer there. Sure. Um, I can't, I can't talk directly as to the reason that Vanchoff was dropped. Um, I can tell you that there's going to be more information, uh, coming coming very soon okay. and uh i think that your new york listeners especially will be uh largely placated and and relieved and happy by the time this airs that uh they will see some movement on some very important issues in new york uh that will relieve any any pearl clutching or consternation they had about vanchoff being dismissed okay okay i, I will uh, accept that 100 percent. we'll trust and, you yeah and uh thank you for that i appreciate it so, Bill, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you know, you certainly cleared up a lot of issues for us and things that we were curious about. And I also want to thank the Firearms Policy Coalition for everything they are doing for our gun rights. As gun owners, we're constantly under a barrage of uh, new anti-gun legislation, and it's comforting to know that organizations like FPC are out there pushing back and providing much-needed relief from the tyranny that we are experiencing. To everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media, so be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Discord so we can keep the conversation going.